How's it going, Riff? Good morning. So I am really excited today to introduce you guys to this guy. This is Hezekiah Trevino, and he is our new pastoral resident that just started with us this month. And so I wanted to tell you a little bit about him, and then he's going to preach for us today. And so just want to just tell you a little bit about him. First of all, in school right now, and he's an overachiever. So I, um, how many majors do you have? Uh, two. And they are? Bible and psychology. Okay. And you have how many minors? Two. Um, which are? Family life education <laughs> and pastoral something. Pastoral something. Yeah. That's like literally a minor. Yep. So, okay. So, Something like that. So Hezekiah and his wife Stacia are, are, have been around here a bit, and we're just really excited about the energy that they are already bringing. So going to spend the majority of their time down at our Rio Town venue, um, but we're just really uh, privileged to have them uh, share the word today. So I'm going to pray for Hezekiah, and then he's going to dive in. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, we thank you um, for um, the Trevinos and just uh, what they have already brought to our church family. And we're just excited about the next couple of years as, as Hezekiah works through his finishing his degree and working on uh, pastoral ministry. And so we just pray that you would speak through him today and that you would tenderize our hearts to the message that he brings. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hello, everybody. Um, so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, um, you know, we have been in a series called Onward we stumble. And if you haven't been here or you just haven't been paying attention, um, this series is just uh, talking about things that cause us to stumble, uh, how we can press forward, grow through them, and wrestle with some of these complex issues so we can ultimately push the message of the gospel further. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I actually really love this idea of stumbling together, right? And uh, one thing we learned the last couple weeks uh, in, in order to really take all of this in, I had to realize that there was actually one principle that we need to take into mind in order for any of these teachings that we've learned to be effective, right? And it's this little phrase right here, we don't know everything. Wow. <laughs> right? Some of you guys, I mean, this is one of those phrases when you're in church, it's like, well, obviously, like... <laughs> We're just humble people, right? It sounds very spiritual. But actually, if you really think about it, this is actually one of the most difficult things to understand and to accept as believers. It sounds good on the outside, but when you get down to it, it's actually really hard. And to prove this, you know, since I'm just a humble servant, I'm going to use myself as an example. I love college football. All right, y'all, I love college football. Saturdays is college football day. I mean, so many upsets happened yesterday. I'm just, I just love all of it. Um, and, you know, I'm not an MSU fan. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say what fan I am so you guys could still listen to me. Um, <laughs> go blue. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Um, but whenever I have conversations, especially with sports talks, um, one of the things that make it an awkward conversation is somebody will bring up a game that I didn't watch or some crazy sports moments uh, that I'd never seen, right? And what makes it awkward is that when they ask me if I saw it, right? And again, of course, since I'm just a humble servant and uh, just a spiritual person, 
I just tell them the truth and say, you know, I didn't see it, you know. Psych, almost every time I tell them, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, and in, this, in, in these moments, in these awkward uh, conversations where I act like I know something, I use one of these phrases. Here's the first one. What did you think about that? Right? Right? I'm a psychology major, so, you know, it's that reverse psychology, using your brain power to get them to tell you, so then you could be like, I know what you're talking about now. So, or we could use this, uh, this phrase, which game are you talking about? I think I know what you're talking about. Just like, refresh me. There was a lot of games yesterday, so... And again, another one of the reverse psychology moves that you can use. And this one's my favorite, actually. Um, this is the infamous minority get out of jail free card for awkward conversations. It is this phrase right here. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> wow. It's, you get, just a, if, if a minority tells you this phrase right here in, your, in the conversation, they are probably not paying attention to you for real. They're thinking about something else, or the conversation has gone on too long, so they're just trying to, like, get you to hurry up. So it's like, wow, that's crazy. So if, if I do this to you, just correct me in love. Some of you guys are thinking about your friends that do this to you. Like, oh, dang, I vent to them. That's all they say. <laughs> Might need a new friend. Uh, no. <laughs> but you should be encouraged in knowing that it, this, these awkward conversations don't only happen in sports talks for me. This actually happens in a lot of other different kind of conversations where I act like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, this happens in politics, you know? Like now it's political season, it's almost November, we get bombarded by every YouTube commercial is somebody bashing somebody else, right? Um, this happens in, in pop culture references, um, acting like you know, I mean, somebody's always dying, somebody's always getting a divorce, somebody's always cheating, and everybody knows, and if you don't know, you're weird. Um, this also happens in things like, this one's big to me, y'all, music, right? Have you ever admitted to somebody when they, refer, when they referred a song to you that you didn't know that song? I mean, it, it's almost like you slapped their mama, right? They get so offended, like, you never heard this song, right? And this one, you know, like, they're almost ready to throw hands with you. And I know because I'm this person, right? We're, we're driving out of Chicago, uh, me and Noel, and uh, I was like, you ever heard this song? He, he was like, no. I was like, you never heard this song? You know, like, it, we get so offended. Anyways, uh, this also happens with things like COVID information. Everybody's experts, supposedly. Um, you know, do I, I don't even know what to believe anymore. You know, like, do I believe uh, my doctor or do I believe my neighbor who works at Lowe's? I don't know. They got convincing <laughs> points, you know? I, I don't know. And, and you know, I, I mean, the list can go on and on. And one thing's for sure in all this is that it is hard to admit that we, when we don't know everything, it is hard to admit when we don't know ever, anything, and when, in these conversations, when I, when I get to that point of where I, you know, say I knew something when I didn't, I always ask myself, like, why? <laughs> you know, why did I say that? Why didn't I just tell the truth? <laughs> you know, why is it so hard to just admit that I didn't know this one thing? And I mean, deep down inside... We have to for real know that it's almost impo it's impossible to know, watch all the games and know all the news going on in the world. And, you know, I don't have time to go to Google medical school. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much that we just don't know. But 
why is it so hard then to admit when we don't know something? And this is what I'm going to teach about today because I believe it is because our culture values wisdom and knowledge over honesty and morals. And to not know something, man, to not know something, that can make you an outcast. It can make you uh, uneducated in some people's eyes. It can, you could can be accused of being uncultured, unaware. Um, if you don't know all the major issues going on in the news right now, it can make others accuse you of being ignorant or insen- insensitive or unsympathetic. There is so much pressure in, in being involved in and in knowing everything that it's almost embarrassing when we don't know something. We can have more degrees than a thermometer, all this education. Some of you guys are like, what? Uh, <laughs> but when we're encountered with something we don't know, it can make us feel inadequate. Just one thing. If we're encountered with just one thing that we don't know, it can make us feel inadequate or less than uneducated. And this whole concept of valuing uh, wisdom and knowledge over honesty and morals is actually nothing new. This is actually something that Paul addresses to, his, to the church, this early church in Corinth. Um, and I, you know, I find it fascinating that what Paul wrote to the early church in his letters is like some of the same things that we deal with today. Still, 2,000 years later, you would think we would learn something, right? You would think we would learn a thing or two. Um, but we can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you want to uh, open, swipe, scroll your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it will be in verse 19 through 23. And it reads this. I'm just going to read through it all. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do this all because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Now, in order to understand this passage, we got to understand a little bit about what's going on in context here, who Paul is talking to. Um, and so they actually have this map up here, this beautiful map of ancient uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, so we got Corinth right here. It's like old, old people stuff. Um, so we have Corinth right here. You can see Corinth, this is the city that Paul is addressing in this letter. You know, Corinthians, Corinth, right? Um, Corinth is actually located on the isthmus, which is uh, a, a connecting body of land between two bodies of water. If you don't know anything or don't learn anything from this message, remember that. That's what is, isthmus is. It's hard to say. Um, so you can see Corinth is right here in between these two bodies of water. So this naturally made it a great place for people to come and, uh, you know, start up businesses. You know, it was a good place for it was thriving because people are always passing through. And so naturally, because of the position that it was in, this actually made it a really diverse city. Um, 
because it was such an attractive place um, from its location. It was, it was diverse generationally. There's a lot of young people, a lot of old people. It was diverse ethnically. Uh, there was people traveling from all over the world that would just set up shop there. They're like, I kind of like this city. Let me just stop here. Uh, it, it was, and it was also diverse economically. There was a lot of rich people, business owners that were like, I can make a lot of money here. Let me, let me make some businesses here. But there was also a lot of poor people, people who were just trying to survive, just trying to sell you know, fish or whatever they can do to live. And, you know, of course, with it being such a diverse city, just like we know today, you know, people who are diverse just get along so great, right? Right? No. In fact, uh, Corinth, I think, is one of the churches that gave Paul the most gray hairs. In fact, he calls his, his visit to the church of Corinth as a painful visit. Like, it, it was painful to visit them. And some theologians actually uh, say that there was this third letter that he wrote to them that was labeled the harsh letter, uh, but it was lost, so we don't know, you know, what it says. And uh, if, if it were my guess, I think Paul dodged a bullet, because I think there was probably some cuss words in there, and we would have think of uh, uh, Paul different uh, if we read that letter. But, um, but do you know what Paul addresses to this Corinthian church over and over again? It's this idea of how they value knowledge and wisdom and how they rely on that over everything else and how that's a problem if they are in, supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. You see, there was a bunch of leaders in the church that constantly gave Paul opposition. Paul and his team, they're just constantly opposing what he says. They, they thought that because of their education and wisdom and knowledge that they knew what was right. There were a bunch of different denominations, I mean, uh, factions, right? And the only reason they were divided up was because of preferences, you know, who they liked, who was a better speaker, who, you know, who just who they preferred. You know, uh, he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 15. He says, one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except my boys Crispus and Gaius. So that no one could say you were baptized in my name. He said, I thank God I didn't baptize y'all. Because you would have used it as another excuse to be divided. See, what he's saying here is that you don't even know the reason you got baptized for real. You don't even know the true reason why you're a Christian or why you believe. You see, all the actions and wisdom and knowledge and things that you do know, it, it doesn't matter if you miss the main point. And the main point is Christ. You guys are doing all this stuff, but you're missing Christ. Now, wait, wait, Hezekiah, wait. If we go back, there's, there's some people who said, I belong to Christ. Right? Are you saying that people can belong to Christ and be divisive and unteachable? <laughs> yes, I am. In fact, I think that's why he put it in there. 
I belong to Christ. Some people are saying, I belong to Christ. It's the same thing that Jesus, this is the reason Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew, in Matthew 15, 8 through 9, it says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, humans, human commands. I love the way that this is translated in the NLV. It says, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So your hearts are far from me. Does this sound familiar? You know why Jesus told the Pharisees this in Matthew? Because they were unteachable. They had tried to question Jesus about the law. They thought they knew better. And because they thought they knew all this stuff, they became unteachable. They thought they were right. And this is the same mindset that Paul is dealing with uh, in, in with this church in Corinth. And ironically, this is the same thing, like I said, that we as believers face today. It's the same thing. You know, the hard part about teaching on something, like being teachable, is that whenever we hear a convicting message, we tend to always point the finger. I know this because I have to catch myself doing this sometimes. We hear a message and think, wow, you know, I think Noah could really benefit from this message if he was here. Like, he really needed to be here. Or, wow, I wish, you know, I wish uh, 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 Sally was here. She really needed this message. You know, like, it's so easy to point the fingers, but we fail to ever examine our own lives and our own faults and our own issues with ourselves. And because we fail to apply uh, uh, what we learn in Scripture to ourselves, And this is because it is not easy to accept when we are wrong and that we don't know everything. Um, There was this famous theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian during World War II. And he had done a lot of uh, activism stuff, uh, speaking out against Hitler and the Nazi regime. And uh, he was actually locked up in the prison. And when he was locked up in this prison, he had created this idea, which I love. It is called the theory of stupidity. Right? Say a bad word in here today. Theory of stupidity. You see, what he saw in such a politically charged environment in Germany during this time And what he observed was that stupid people were more dangerous than evil people. This is his his thesis. Imagine that. A man who knew what evil was, seeing Jews get killed, dragged away, seeing how, how Nazi soldiers treated other people, seeing this inhumane society, he was living in it during this time. Somebody who knew what evil was, and he still said stupid people were more dangerous than evil people. And this was his reasoning. He says, he argues, while you can fight evil with force if necessary, there is no defense against stupidity because it is never available to reason. Never available to reason. So force or protests are useless against it. 
Now get this. I want you guys to understand some, his definition of what a stupid person was. He said it was not one who was psychologically deficient or was not educated. So it had nothing to do with their IQ scores. It, but it had more to do with their sociological and moral issues. He concluded that stupidity is acquired rather than congenital. It's acquired. Because it was more common among individuals or groups of people who are inclined rather than asocials or loners. In layman's terms, he's saying it is learned behavior. And it gets better because he says, we should never try to reason with this kind of person because it is useless and dangerous. Trying to reason with this stupid person. And when addressing these stupid people, we are confronted, get this, with basis, baseless slogans and buzzwords. Wow, sounds like today. That have game power over them. How many baseless slogans and buzzwords do we hear today? Now, let's stop here for a second, because I know what some of you guys are thinking. Some of you guys are already thinking of a few stupid people, you know, right? right? <laughs> You're probably thinking, I know, man, I know a lot of stupid people. Uh, and, and I mean, let's be honest, some, some Republicans in this room, some of you guys are like, yo, that's every Democrat I come across. And some Democrats in this room are like, that's every Republican I ever met. And now don't think I'm trying to make this a political thing. I'm not. I'm just trying to get back to my point that I made before that it is easier to point the finger than to self-evaluate ourselves. It's easier to point the finger than to self-examine ourselves and apply these things to our own lives. Because the fact of the matter is that we have all been stupid in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's terms. Right? And guess what? Some of us just might still be stupid in his terms. I know because I have been that a lot of times. So if we could just stop here for a second and just take in this for a second, right, and see if we can apply this to our own lives. Let's take a second uh, and think of the times we have been offended. We haven't listened, or we have been closed off, all because of certain ideologies or beliefs we may have that we won't budge on, and we are closed off to listening to any other opposing views or any other person. We're quick to cut it off. Let's think of those times in our own lives. One of my favorite points that he makes in this theory of stupidity is that stubbornness is not independence. Everybody say, hmm. We think that somehow when we are stubborn and refuse to listen to others, that it somehow makes us independent. That it somehow makes us different, somehow makes us above somebody else. We think we're being strong, we think we're being firm, when in reality, we're just being stupid. But we have to understand that stubbornness is, does, does not mean uh, independence. And 
Bonhoeffer ends with this. He says, only true, genuine, internal liberation can free them, us, when we're stupid, from stupidity. Until this happens, any attempt to educate them would be futile. Facts, statistics, witnesses, evidence, uh, all of it is futile because it falls on deaf ears until they can be internally liberated. And this is the gospel message, ain't it? To be internally liberated. Let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Paul says, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Now, Paul was somebody who was extremely educated, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. Uh, He was taught by one of the most prominent teachers of his day. And yet Paul is here saying, I made myself a slave to everyone. He's someone that could have flaunted all his education and knowledge, which is what most people did back then. It was all about status. But instead he said, I made myself a slave. Verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. You see, his message of salvation included the Gentiles. This was his, this was his push. But he never flaunted that when he was in front of his other Jewish people. He didn't bring up about how he disagreed with some of their theology. He wasn't making Facebook statuses that would intentionally offend them, right? It's that he respected their traditions. He respected uh, uh, their customs, and he actually participated in those uh, traditions and customs when he was among them. He simply fit in to win them. Verse 21, to those who are without the law, like, with, like one without the law, Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. Now, I love this line that he puts uh, in here. He says, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, a.k.a. I ain't just out here sinning, though. You see, he knew all the Jewish customs, like I said. He, he was educated. He was a Pharisee, but he never flaunted these things when he was around people who were under the law. Or weren't under the law. He ate bacon with them. You know, he didn't tell them, hey, can you turn on that Jay-Z album? I only listen to Hillsong. <laughs> he didn't bring up about how they were uncircumcised. He didn't bring up their, uh, their flaws and what they needed to fix when he was around them all the time. He didn't make them feel less than. He was simply in their space to fit in. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. He says, get the, he says and to the weak, I became weak. Not I, I, I became like the weak. He said, I became weak. You see, Paul, with all his education and status that he could have flaunted around, it's, he, he didn't do that. Instead, he, he intentionally walked alongside these marginalized group of people who were looked down upon. He walked, he didn't just walk alongside them, he became them. He didn't become like them, he became them. He wasn't just with them one day out the week. 
once a month, you know, charity, he became them. You see, but uh, uh, one, of the, one of these things, he, he says, I have become all things to all people so I may by every possible means save some. Yeah. I have become all things to all people. But how? Let's go back to the first verse. He, in nine, verse 19, he says, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. This term slave here is not a term that just people just threw around. I mean, just think about it. Who just intentionally wants to make themselves a slave? By using this word slave, Paul is stating, this is hard. This is sacrificial. I made myself. People might look down on me. They might think different of of me. They will judge me. They will treat me uh, because they see me as weak. But I made myself a slave. But this is the reason why. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. It's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. Hezekiah, this don't make sense. Fitting in, I was always taught in church that we had to stand apart, stand apart, be set apart, right? We had to be different. We had to be firm in our faith. We had to be separate from the world, right? Anybody heard these things? They are all true, but not in the way that we have been taught. You see, many people will argue that if we just accept everyone and become like them, isn't that a distortion of the gospel? No. What a distortion of the gospel is, is when we let our man-made, individualistic, separatist ideologies deter us from loving others the way we are supposed to. Remember that verse in Matthew, right, where they they teach man-made ideas as commands from God? This is one of those man-made ideas that we just somehow created. You see, because Paul is not distorting the gospel here. This is not an idea he created himself. This is actually a Jesus principle. Paul was not passive because he fit in. In fact, all before in this chapter, before chapter 9 in, in 1 Corinthians, he, he addressed a lot of the issues that they were going through. He, he wasn't afraid of confrontation. He wasn't afraid to correct them. That's what he was there for. He was firm in his faith. You could not sway him. He just did all of this in love. He did all of this in Christ. You see, Paul knew that he couldn't lean on his own wisdom and his own understandings in these spaces. He used wisdom not of what the world thought wisdom was, but he used it in the context of what Christ said it is. He was on the lookout for anything in his actions or life that may have caused people's ears to close against the gospel, uh, anything that would cause them to stumble. He was on the lookout for any stupid tendencies that he could fall into or even push others into. 
In everything that he did, he used his life to push the message of the gospel. He used uh, 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 his life to point to what really matters, and that is Jesus Christ. So, being a jerk to other people to try to prove a point is actually not biblical. I know, crazy, right? Making insulting comments on Facebook or, or Twitter, uh, uh, you know, offending other people intentionally uh, because they have differing beliefs than you, that is actually not biblical. Yikes. Being closed off or arguing your stance on a certain issue and not being teachable and not, not even taking time to go around other groups of people that believe differently than you is not biblical. Being independent, right? That's stubbornness. You see, what makes us different, what makes us stand out, what makes us the, the, the light of the world, a city on a hill, is Christ and Christ in us. Some of you guys might not like this idea of loving your neighbors and being around them, being among them. But this is what Jesus ta- taught often. In fact, Jesus says, this, this is the second greatest commandment, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is just right under to love the Lord your God with all your heart, my, soul, and mind. That's the number one, love God, and then love your neighbor. So I think it's kind of important how we treat people, don't you think? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to end with this. Before Jesus was arrested to be crucified, uh, he had a talk with his disciples, telling them what they should expect, you know, once he, once he dies. And this is John 16, 7 through 8. He says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will not send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. You see, this counselor is the Holy Spirit. I love this other translation. It's translated as the advocate. What is an advocate? Somebody that speaks for you. You see, we don't have to know everything. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to be closed-minded or feel less than because the Holy Spirit is our advocate. It says that he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will, not us. Because it is not our job with our own strength and wisdom to do these things. The world is corrupt, and sometimes we like, we got to call these things out. You see, God knows that the world is corrupt. A few verses later, he says, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, but I have conquered the world. Yeah. I think God could, could handle this without our help. Don't you think? And don't get me wrong, this is not encouragement to just lay aside and ignore things. Uh, that are going around you, or going on around you. This is also not an excuse to sit around uh, when we should be taking action on certain things. It's also not an, you know, I'm not saying don't get seek education, 
Or, you know, I love, I'm a five on the Enneagram. I'm the wise person. I'm going to be in school probably for the rest of my life because I value knowledge and wisdom. But I have to come to the realization that it is not by my own knowledge and wisdom, but it is by the Holy Spirit and Christ in me. So when we are in tough situations, when we are fighting against, you know, social wrongs in and, and, and our society, when we, when we are to be firm in our faith, it should not be by our own strength and might. Because we have the Holy Spirit that is our advocate that will speak for us and honestly speaks better than us ever will, you know, better than we will ever will. And, and it, it feels weird. It feels uncomfortable to, to not, you know, to lean into this, this concept of not knowing everything. Because like I said, it's, it's totally against our society. But this is one of the things that we really have to be comfortable leaning into. Because accepting that we don't have all the answers forces us to trust in Jesus. That's what faith is. Knowing we don't have all the answers. I think if God wanted us to have all the answers to life, he would have laid it out in the Bible. But there are some areas where it's gray because he wants us to lean into him in those moments. He gives us the Holy Spirit as an advocate for all these moments of uncertainty. It's okay not to know everything. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit. And I think that we are in good hands. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, uh, just, just for your word, uh, your convicting word. I just ask that you just help us to lean into this, uh, uh, lean into you in these areas of uncertainty in our lives. That, that while we go against the grain in, 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 our, in, in this culture, that we are able to trust in you and have faith that you have all the answers. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for filling us with, with a guide in these tough situations, in, in, in these tough uh, moments in our lives. I just ask that you just help us to learn. Help us to have an open heart, just like David said. Uh, examine me, oh God. Point out the areas that I need to fix. Give us the discernment. Thank you for being good and for seeing us and for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.